All right, you guys. Well, we're going to get your crayons out because we're about to learn from the Bible. Hallelujah. So uh, uh, the notes are in your bulletin, and you've got crayons to color in your bulletin while Sarah is teaching. Uh, or you can find your notes attached to this video on our website or attached to the podcast if you're listening to the audio. But uh, we're going to get into the Word today, and uh, Sarah may share this as well, but I just want to share this from, from my heart to you, is that uh, what, what our heart is and what we're trying to accomplish as a church is to partner with families so that we can all do discipleship together, right? I mean, we have classes at church, and let's be honest, we all need a break sometimes, man. Kids are a handful, and so it's nice to be able to come to church, put your kid in a class, and, and they get to learn the Word of God while, uh, while we're in church together. But if that's all we ever do is put our kids in class, then what we do is we actually teach our kids that they should learn about God from somebody else. And that's not what we want to do. We want our kids to understand that they can learn about God at home, that we can grow as disciples together as a family. And so uh, as we move into the fall, that's what we want to accomplish, is we want to help families do discipleship together. That's our heart. That's our passion. And that's kind of where we're going. So with that being said, I'm going to turn it over to Sarah, and we're going to get into the Word of God together. Yes, thank you. So, yes, that uh, is, and I'll explain a little bit more about um, family crews and what that all is going to look like um, here in a little bit. Um, but, yes, our heart is um, for family discipleship. We're really believing that parents, you spend more time with your kids than we do. We get them for a couple hours every Sunday, maybe well, a week in a summertime uh, for a camp. But we don't have the kind of time with them that you have with them and the opportunity that you have. And we believe the calling that is on your lives. That's what the Bible teaches for parents, the, par the fathers, the mothers, the grandparents, um, Hanai family, uh, to be the ones that are passing the, the gospel on to the next generation and teaching their kids. So, but we're going to be starting with our family cruise. Um, like Pastor Aaron said, it's going to be actually an event that we're going to be doing through the fall. And I'll give you some more details. But like I said, uh, I'm going to be your cruise director. So I'll be there uh, in making, like I said, making sure you guys enjoy yourselves and you have a lot of fun, but also doing a lot of the teaching and uh, making sure that everyone is um, learning something as a part of it. Uh, where will we be headed on our family cruise? Well, that is up to our captain. We, he, we call him Captain Jesus Christ. He's the one that will determine where we are going. He leads us and guides us uh, where he believes is best for us. So we're going to be excited to follow him wherever he leads us. But I want to challenge you guys today since we uh, it's Cakey Sunday. Got to make it fun. Anytime I tell you that Jesus is our captain, or I say, Captain Jesus, I need you guys to say, aye, aye, captain. Okay? Can we practice that? All right. So I'm going to say, Jesus is our captain. Aye, aye, captain. Right? Okay. Because we show him respect. He's our captain. He's our leader. He's our guide. And so we're going to be doing a special message. He wants me to share a special message today from Captain Jesus. Aye, aye, captain. So this is something that happened in the Bible, and Jesus was a part of this story. There's a lot of stories in the Bible. We know that the New Testament especially is a lot about Jesus, the four Gospels. Um, and so this actually comes from the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. Now, you have your notes, and you might notice that it's completely blank. 
<laughs> and the reason why I did that instead of doing fill in the blanks or anything like that is because a lot of the cakey in our church don't know how to write yet. So I was like, this is for our cakey. This day is about them. So let's make it about them and don't make it a fill in the blank kind of thing because they can't do that, right? So I invite all of you to get back to your uh, childhood days and to think about your uh, days coloring with crayons and markers and how fun that was. <laughs> <laughs> trying to stay inside the lines. We don't care if you stay outside the lines. But we're going to challenge you to do notes the cakey way. So we're going to give you some things you can draw inside your bulletin. Uh, and, of course, parents, if your kids have already filled the page with other things, that's fine, too. <laughs> cakey ministry and life with kids is all about plan B, plan C, just going with the flow, right? So in John chapter 3, now, there is a very, very, very important verse in the Bible. In fact, it's probably, some people would argue, the most important verse. And it's the one that most people, when they memorize, and they start memorizing verses of the Bible, which we always promote and, uh, and support in the Kiki ministry, uh, it's one of the first ones that you will learn, right? It's called John 3.16. Um, one thing that I want to say, so a lot of people might think, oh, my kids are too little to memorize a Bible verse, right? Well, I want to argue <laughs> that I've heard three-year-olds, two- and three-year-olds running around singing, we don't talk about Bruno, the whole song, right? So they can learn, they can memorize, absolutely. It's just how you teach it to them, right? So we're actually going to be doing John 3.16, and we're actually going to be doing it in a song here in a little bit because we, just, we know that the song can really be a good vehicle to help kids learn the words, right? So we're going to learn the words together here in just a little bit and we'll be doing that throughout the entire family cruise we'll be having a verse that we'll be doing each night it'll be a key verse and we'll be challenging everyone to memorize it through a song okay so our so our verse for today it's one of the the most important ones John 3:16 but some people might not know the story behind how that verse was given right or you might just have kind of glossed over it as you were reading this chapter, right? So in their story, there is a very famous, very important man. His name was Nicodemus, okay? And he wasn't famous because he had lots of friends, right? He didn't have lots of money, right, that he could, uh, uh, oh, sorry, he, I'm sorry, I'm getting confused. Jesus is the one that wasn't famous <laughs> didn't have lots of money. Excuse me, guys. But Nicodemus was a really important uh, man. And he came to Jesus to meet with him. And he came with him uh, at nighttime, which is kind of interesting. You wonder, why did he come at night, right? That's a little bit weird. And we're not really sure. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure if he came because he was maybe wanted one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. Because Jesus was always surrounded by a lot of people. There were like crowds. And he would have to get in a boat and go out a lot of the times away from people so that, that he could actually teach them without the people being so close. There were lots of people around Jesus. Maybe he just wanted to be one-on-one. -on -one. Or maybe it was also because he was a Pharisee. Does anybody know what that is, Pharisee? We talk about the Pharisees when we learn about Jesus because a lot of times they were almost like Jesus' enemies. They were the ones that were criticizing him. They were the ones that were um, looking for reasons to arrest him. And they were the ones ultimately who led the way for him being killed. Okay, So why 
Did the Pharisees not like Jesus? Well, I think they were pretty threatened. They saw that he was powerful. He was going around and he was healing people. He was doing things that even they couldn't do, right? He was uh, healing, like it says in the song that we just sang, he was healing people who were sick. He was making people who were blind, even blind from birth, like they spent their whole lives blind or lame, and he was healing them uh, right away, just like immediate healing. So there was a power that they saw in him and his teaching, right? They tried to to, to make him uh, make mistakes in what he taught, like I just <laughs> did, and misspeak. But every single time they tried, Jesus always taught what was right and what was true, and they could never, ever find a way to get him to make a mistake in what he was saying so that they could arrest him, right? So there was a power that was coming from Jesus, and I think they really knew that, that he was somebody that was a threat to their way of life and the way that they had always lived. So he was a Pharisee. He might have come to Jesus at night because he was afraid of all of his Pharisee friends and what they would think of him and what they would say about him and what they would do to him if he expressed any kind of of support for this Jesus, right? So he came to Jesus at night, and so it was a secret. I want everyone to, to show me, how do you keep a secret? What's a secret? It means you don't tell anybody, right? Shh. You don't tell other people. You don't go running around blabbing secrets to other people because then you're not a very good secret keeper, and no one's going to tell you any more secrets. So I want you guys to keep Nicodemus's secret as he came to Jesus at night, and he had some questions for Jesus. First of all, he started by saying, I know, Jesus, that you must have power from God because there's no way that you could be doing the things that you are doing unless it was coming from God. So he already saw that Jesus was the real deal. And that's why he was there. And he had some questions for Jesus. And Jesus, just, just as he often did, he kind of made uh, uh, Nicodemus scratch his head a little bit. He was a little bit confused. The first thing that he told Nicodemus is that in order to see the kingdom of God, he would have to be born again. Now, we all talk about being born again, and we know what that means, and it makes sense to us, right? But for some people, maybe people outside the church who have never heard the Bible before or um, people who just have never been exposed to a church, right, they may never have heard that expression, being born again. And Nicodemus didn't understand it. He even said, how is it possible for a grown person to go back into his mother, mother's womb, his mother's tummy, right, because that's where the babies come from, and be born again. It's not possible, right? So he didn't understand. And then Jesus, maybe instead of just giving him a straight out, <laughs> this is what I mean, answer, then he kind of confused him a little bit more. And he said that in order to uh, see the kingdom of God, you had to be born of water and of the spirit. And he explained a little bit about the Holy Spirit and said that the Holy Spirit, it being born again of the Holy Spirit, is kind of like the wind, right? We're out here, we, f- we feel these warm breezes here in Hawaii that we uh, so appreciate when it gets really hot. And, but we can't see the wind. We can see evidence of the wind. We can see that the trees, the branches and the trees are moving and the grasses moving because of the wind. We can see um, even some of the things that we put up moving in the wind. So we can see what the wind does, but we can't actually see the wind. It's something that is invisible to us. So that's how the Holy Spirit works. And he brings out this born again, this new birth in a way that we can't see with our eyes, but it's still a power 
that changes that person. So he's kind of leading him along baby steps in this direction. So then he helps him out a little bit more. So remember that he, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. That means he knows the Bible. This is before the Bible was written down. Okay, they had scrolls that had um, uh, a lot of the things from the Old Testament, but it wasn't written down like we're used to the Bible today, where you just have it all in one book, okay? And some people, the Pharisees and scribes and other people in Jesus' time, they knew the Word of God, but some people couldn't read it for themselves. So, like I said, they would memorize it, like, uh, or like we're going to be doing. We're going to be memorizing the Word of God. Um, they would memorize it, and that's how they would know it. Well, the, the Pharisees and the scribes really knew the Word of God. Okay, they had memorized it from when they were small children. They had been instructed and taught in it all growing up, and that was part of their training to become a Pharisee. Okay, so he had all this knowledge of the Old Testament, all the things that had happened, and Jesus told, uh, reminded him of a story that happened in the days of Moses. And you guys might be familiar with this story too, or it might be something new. So he mentioned to Nicodemus about when God. Uh, was punishing the Israelites for their rebellion and their unbelief in him. And there were these poisonous snakes all through the camp. That, now, does anybody like snakes? Some people like snakes, okay? And that's, that's okay. Snakes are really interesting, okay? But these were these poisonous snakes, and they were all just bunches of them all through the camp, and they were biting people, and people were dying, and people were in a lot of pain, and so they were going to Moses and saying, we've sinned, we've sinned, please go to God and ask him to take this away from us. So Moses goes to God, and God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent, a bronze snake, and to put it up on a pole, and then to put it there in the camp. And he told all the people, if you want to be healed, just look at this, this bronze snake and you'll be healed. Now, some people might have been afraid to do that. Like they're looking at all these snakes and the snakes are what are actually causing them to be hurt and die. So they might not have wanted to look at another snake, right? But they had to look at the snake in order to be saved from death, right? So he told this story that happened with Moses. And of course, Nicodemus would know that and would understand. And Jesus added on this important part. He explained what that story really meant. He said, in the same way, the Son of Man will be lifted up on a pole to be, to be given for, the, 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 for salvation, for eternal life. Through look, looking at Jesus, who was raised up, that's how you would have eternal life, okay? So, and then this next verse is that John 3, 16. So what I want to do is I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it in the NIV version, which is the way that I memorized it. But today we're actually going to be learning it in the NLT version. That's what's in your uh, bulletin, in your notes, okay? So that's how we'll be learning it. But there was the, I think it was, I'm trying to remember, but I think it was the first verse that I ever memorized from the Bible. So if you know it, please go ahead and say it with me. And if you don't know it, you can go ahead and just read it right out of your, uh, your bulletin out of your notes. So John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, that is a verse that we all know very well. We can say it without even really thinking about it. And sometimes if we don't think about it, 
the meaning of the words kind of just go through our head or just go, again, kind of like what they say, one in one ear, out the other ear, right? It doesn't really take heart. So today we're going to kind of spend a little time unpacking that verse. And I have some illustrations here to help us. So that's why I said in your notes, get your crayons out. This is where you can color a little bit. So our first, <laughs> as I said, okay, so cakey ministry, working with kids, parenthood, teachers, you know what I'm talking about. You always have plan B, plan C, and even then sometimes <laughs> that doesn't work because things just never go as you planned. So you see my uh, lovely blue star balloon. That was supposed to be a heart, <laughs> a red heart. And I found a red heart balloon at Safeway, and it said, I love you, and I was super excited, brought it home. <laughs> Piper got it. And she was trying to be helpful. So she was, I did tell her, that's for church. So put it someplace where it's, you know, where you can't play with it and Cruzy can't play with it. So she put it up on the counter right underneath the ceiling fan, which, which in her defense at the time was off. So it was totally safe at the time. But then Cruz woke up from his nap and he turned the fan on. It got a big <laughs> slash right through it. And that was the end of my heart balloon. Then I went rushing all over the south side looking for another heart-shaped balloon. And I couldn't find one. So they, they gave me this one at the pharmacy. And they're like, here. I was like, OK, well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I said, really? So I, what I want you guys to do is uh, imagine with me that that's a red heart balloon. <laughs> and draw a heart in your notes. For this is how God loved. So the beginning of the verse, for this is how God loved. It doesn't have to be a red heart. You can choose whatever color of crayon you've got. I know everybody's sharing, okay? But we want to uh, use the heart as the, the, the symbol to, sh to remind us of God's love and that this is, how, this is how the gospel starts. It all starts with God's love. It all starts with God's love, and, and that is the most important thing to remember. It starts with God, and it starts with his love, okay? So we got our heart or our blue star. <laughs> All right, so the next part of our verse, this is how God loved what? The world. Now, you might think to yourself, okay, so I'll go ahead and draw the earth, right? Well, you could, and God does love the world that he created. He loves the animals. He loves everything that he created. And the Bible says he saw that it was all good, right? He loves it. But it doesn't even come close with the kind of love that he has for people, right? So which we're also part of his creation. So here I'm going to challenge you to draw. <laughs> you could just draw a smiley face if you're not into the, the art thing. I'm not very much of an artist. But you can draw yourself. You can draw your family. You can draw, you know, somebody else. You can draw a cartoon character. That's fine. But draw people, right? So for this is how God loved people. This is how God loved the world. And when it says the world, people, it means all people, right? It doesn't say this is how God loved the nation of Israel. That was part of, they're, they're part of the world, right? But this is how God loved the nation of Israel, the Europeans, the Asians, right? The uh, Africans, all people going back from all the beginning of the world, Adam and Eve and coming all the way forward to now and even going beyond us, right? God loves people for this is how God loved the world. This is how God loved people. 
Okay, I'll give you just, just a quick second while I catch up in my notes to do your, your drawings in your notes of yourself, your family. How, are you just smiling faces if you want to keep it simple. Okay. So our next part of the illustration So for God, this is how God loved the world, or for God so loved the world that he gave, right? For this is how God loved the world, he gave. Now, so I have here my gift. How many of you guys like getting gifts, presents? I think just about everybody should raise your hand. If you don't like getting gifts, I think you're a little weird. <laughs> Maybe you don't like surprise gifts. Maybe you don't like the surprise. That makes sense. But I think just about everyone likes getting stuff. Uh, I know kids figure out very early on that their birthdays and Christmas are about them getting presents, right? And they get to enjoy that. And that's something they look forward to. We also hope that they understand that there are other things that are important about that day, not just that they get a bunch of presents. But everybody loves gifts. So here I have my gift because God gave a gift to the world. So you, in your notes, you can draw a picture of a gift. You can make it you know, uh, just a box with a bow on top, or you can be fancy and make it look like a fancy gift bag with tissue paper coming out of it, however artistic you want to be. But God gave. He gave us a special gift. All right. Next, what did he give us? Or really, who? Let's open up our gift and see. He gave his son, his one and only son. So baby Jesus, we celebrate his birth at Christmas, right? So I, I did a baby Jesus. <laughs> we know Jesus didn't stay a baby, and he grew up to be a man, and that was obviously who we're talking about in our story today. But this is God's gift, God's great gift to the world, God's great gift to people because of his love. He gave his son. By the way, <laughs> I wrapped this this morning, and I was putting it in the trunk of my car into the box, and I was like, boy, I hope none of the parents or neighbors are watching me. <laughs> think, think I'm some kind of a monster. <laughs> so, um, so God gave his one and only son. Now, if we just say that, and we don't really think about what that means. How many parents would want to give your one and only child or any of your children as a sacrifice for a criminal, right? Because that's really what it means. We were, we were the sinners. We were the criminals. We are the ones that deserve punishment. But God chose to give his beloved son, his one and only son. You want to hold? Okay, you can hold Jesus, especially since he's hers. <laughs> um, his one and only son. So go ahead and draw a picture of a baby. Uh, you can, you could again, you can make it as pretty as you want, or you can just go really simple. <laughs> go, sit, go sit with daddy. Um, your, uh, so a baby Jesus, one, God's one and only son that he gave to the world. Okay, so our next illustration is so that everyone who believes in him. Now, that could be hard to draw a picture of. 
But I wanted to think about what does that mean? Why do we need to believe in Jesus? And what exactly did Jesus do that we needed to, that we need to believe in as a part of this verse? Well, we know if we've learned, if we've studied the Bible, if we've been taught the Bible, and also we celebrate it at Easter time, that uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So you can draw a cross in your notes. We believe that God gave his one and only son, that God came to earth and became human, just like us. He experienced all the same things that we experience. Sickness, he had to grow up, right, with all the, the hard times that come with growing up. He was a teenager, okay? Um, he was human be- a human being, just like us. And yet Jesus lived a perfect life. That's also what the Bible teaches us. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He never disobeyed his parents. He never was mean to his brothers and sisters or his classmates or his friends or anyone else. He never stole. He never told a lie. It's hard for us to understand that because all of us, all, we all make mistakes. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God as the Bible teaches us. But God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son to die. That's, that's, that's really the, what the, the gospel is all about. His perfect son, his beloved son, his one and only that he gave to die. On the cross, a death he didn't deserve, a, a terrible death he didn't deserve. I mean, worse than anything any of us could ever expect to experience when we die. A terrible death. And he died on the cross for you. He died for me. He died for all the people whose pictures you drew in your notes all the people who have ever lived, so that when you believe in him, in his death on the cross, in his sacrifice, then what's the next part? You shall not perish. So for this one, uh, you can can, uh, do this however you want, but I thought a do not sign might be good and simple, something that everyone can draw but that they, you will not perish. Now, perish means to die. And we might, kids might ask ourselves and say, wait a minute, everybody dies, right? My, my grandma died, uh, my grandpa died, I, I have you know, people that I've known who have died. So how, does that, how is that true then, if you will not die? Does it mean if you believe in Jesus, you will not die? No, everybody, it, that's a part of being a human being. Everybody dies at some point. Our bodies run out of energy and strength. We might get sick. Things happen. And, and death is something that we all have to experience. But this is not talking about our human bodies dying, right? This is talking about a life after that, okay? Because the Bible teaches us that there's more to life than just this life, this world that we're living in now. And it's hard for us to understand, right, because you can't, you know, they, they say there's stories about people who went to heaven and came back, right? But that doesn't happen for most of us, right? So it's something we believe without seeing, that there's more to life for us after we die. And that is what Jesus uh, gave his life for. So that after we die, we have hope. You know, as we're talking about Auntie Eileen, I know that she, she, she might experience, be experiencing some fear. I, I think I would. 
that's uh, you know, with the, the pain and things and uncertainty and everything. But but deep down, we all know that she has peace because uh, she knows that even if her body should die, she has eternal life in heaven with Jesus to look forward to forever because she believed in this verse. She believed in Jesus and what he did. So even though our bodies may die, we have eternal life after this to look forward to with Jesus. And it's amazing to think about eternal life. Um, here, let me get my, I'm going to put this down for just a second so it doesn't. So it's hard for us to think about eternal. And I even kind of was trying to think about how would I put this into a symbol. And so I thought of a circle and how a circle just keeps going and going and going around and around and around. It has no end, right? Eternal life is, it's it's hard for us to understand as human beings because we understand things that end, th- things that come to an end. Even school years, uh, we graduate, we uh, finish college, we might finish a job, we might finish, you know, uh, relationships even end, right? Things that we experience in our life are all about beginnings and endings. But eternal life, on and on and on and on. That's so crazy to think about. And we can't even begin to imagine or understand what, how good it's going to be. It's, the Bible just promises us that everything we're experiencing here, all of the good and the bad, it's just going to be just a, like, a, like a, 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 a reflection, a pale reflection to what we're, the good things that we're going to experience in heaven. And it's just, uh, just going to be, the Bible teaches us even beyond anything that we can uh, see like that that no eye has seen no ear has heard it's, it's just so hard to even understand that but it's the bible promises it's going to be beautiful it's going to be wonderful and it's just going to be forever and ever and ever no end so you can draw a circle in your notes uh i think i i liked yellow because it made me think of the streets of gold that the bible teaches us the bible the in heaven or the, the streets are paved with gold but you can use whatever color you want um so John three sixteen, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Um, I wanted to give a little bit, because again, like eternal life is so hard to wrap our minds around. And so I wanted to tell a little story, and this is actually a true story to kind of help us understand a little bit more about what this is that Jesus did for us. So kids, how many of you guys are looking forward to or have been to Disneyland one day? <laughs> or Disney World, right? Okay, <laughs> I know that we're already talking about it with Piper because she loves all the Disney characters and everything. So we're already telling her someday when she gets a little bit bigger, we'll take her and her brother Uh, and this guy, to Disney World. So this is a story by Timothy Paul Jones. So he's actually a a very famous uh, writer, speaker. He's he's been a pastor. Right now he's actually a professor at a seminary. Uh, I think it's the Southern Baptist, the main Southern Baptist uh, uh, theological school. So 
But this story is called Because I'm Yours. And so this is him writing about it, writing about his family. So he said, I never dreamed that taking a child to Disney World could be so difficult or that such a trip could teach me so much about God's outrageous grace. Our middle daughter had been previously adopted by another family. I am sure this couple had the best of intentions, but they never quite integrated the adopted child into their family of biological children. After a couple of rough years, they dissolved the adoption, and we ended up welcoming an eight-year-old into our home. That would be a really, really heartbreaking, tragic thing to experience. For one reason or another, whenever our daughter's previous family vacationed at Disney World, they took their biological children with them, but they left their adopted daughter with a family friend. Usually, at least in the child's mind, this happened because she did something wrong that precluded her presence on the trip. And so by the the time we adopted our daughter, she had seen many pictures of Disney World, and she had heard about the rides and the characters and the parades. But when it came to passing through the gates of the Magic Kingdom, she had always been the one left on the outside. Once I found out about this history, I made plans to take her to Disney World the next time a speaking engagement took our family to the southeastern United States. I thought I had mastered the Disney World drill. I knew from previous experiences that the prospect of seeing cast members in freakishly oversized mouse and duck costumes somehow turns children into squirming bundles of emotional instability. But what I didn't expect was that the prospect of visiting this dream world would produce a stream of downright devilish behavior in our newest daughter. In the month leading up to our trip to the Magic Kingdom, she stole food when a simple request would have gained her a snack. She lied when it would have been easier to tell the truth. She whispered insults that were carefully crafted to hurt her older sister as deeply as possible. And as the days on the calendar moved closer to the trip, her mutinies multiplied. A couple of days before our family headed to Florida, I pulled our daughter into my lap to talk through her latest escapade. I know what you're going to do, she stated flatly. You're not going to take me to Disney World, aren't you? The thought hadn't actually crossed my mind, but her downward spiral suddenly started to make some sense. She knew she couldn't earn her way into the Magic Kingdom. She had tried and failed that test several times before. So she was living in a way that placed her as far as possible from the most magical place on Earth. In retrospect, I'm embarrassed to admit that in that moment, I was tempted to turn her fear to my own advantage. The easiest response would have been, if you don't start behaving better, you're right, we won't take you. But by God's grace, I didn't. Instead, I asked her, is this trip something we're doing as a family? And she nodded, her brown eyes wide and tear-rimmed. And are you part of this family? And she nodded again. Then you're going with us. Sure, there may be some consequences to help you remember what's right and wrong, but you're part of our family and we're not leaving you behind. I'd like to say that her behaviors grew better after that moment. They didn't. Her choices pretty much spiraled out of control at every hotel and rest stop all the way to Lake Buena Vista. Still, we headed to Disney World on the day we had promised, and it was a typical Disney day. Overpriced tickets, overpriced meals, and lots of lines mingled with just enough manufactured magic to consider maybe going again someday. 
In our hotel room that evening, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted, pensive, and a little weepy at times, but her month-long facade of rebellion had faded. When bedtime rolled around, I prayed with her, held her, and asked, so how was your first day at Disney World? She closed her eyes and snuggled down with her stuffed unicorn, and after a few moments, she opened her eyes ever so slightly. Daddy, she said, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. It wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. I just love that story. I love that picture that it tells us when Jesus died on the cross and then when he rose from the grave back to life, what it means for us as sinners. We were outside God's family. We didn't deserve to be a part of his family. We don't deserve. But because of Jesus and what he did, and when we believe in him, we become part of his family. And we get to experience all the good things that come as a part of his family. Not because we're good, not because we earn it, but because we belong to Jesus. I hope that our cakey really take this to heart, this verse, and that they do take the challenge to memorize it and hide it in their hearts so that they can always remember for themselves what Jesus did and what he means to them when they believe in him, but that they can also share this with the world. That's one of the wonderful things about memorizing scripture. You can tell it to somebody else, even if you don't have your Bible right there with you. So Keiki, we're going to sing this song called John 3.16 to help you learn this verse so that you can start to take these words to heart. And as you look at the pictures that you drew in your notes, or hopefully drew in your notes, you can remember what it means. And remember how much God loved you. God loved me. God loved us. That he gave his one and only son, his precious son. He gave his one and only precious son to die a terrible death. And he gave his one and only son to rise from the dead and to give us all victory over our sins so that when we believe in him, we will not perish. We will not experience that eternal separation from God, but we will experience eternal goodness and beauty and love in heaven. And so I just want to invite you all to pray with me. Uh, if there's anyone here who has never believed in Jesus to be their Savior, believe that he died on the cross for their sins, um, and that he rose again, you can do that now. Uh, kids, if you would like to pray with your parents, you can do that now or you can do it at home, but I'm sure they would be excited if you ask them to help you pray and uh, uh, ask Jesus to be your Savior. Um, I'm sure that would be the greatest joy of their parenting lives. So, um, But I do want to invite anyone who hasn't done that, I'll try and uh, kind of lead you through that here a little bit through prayer. But let's go ahead and bow our heads and just be thinking about those words. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Thank you, Father, for this message that, um, that you shared with Nicodemus that night. Uh, it's hard uh, even just wrapping our minds around the gospel and what it means because it's so it goes against everything that we as human beings do and how we live, our thoughts and our attitudes. We are sinners. We, we make mistakes. We fall short. Some of us make big mistakes. 
Sometimes it might be small things, but to you it's all sin. It's all rebellion. It's all disobeying you. And yet you love us. You love the world. You love everyone. And you desire for all people to put their trust in you, to believe in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your obedience. Thank you for your sacrifice. You didn't have to die on the cross, but you chose to. And we thank you for what that means for all of those who choose to believe it. We thank you, Jesus, for um, just what it means as, as a gift that we don't deserve salvation. And then more than that, that it means victory over death, that when we die, we know that that's not the end, but it's just the beginning of eternal life in heaven with you and, and just how wonderful that's going to be. We can't even really imagine. Thank you for making us yours. Thank you for making us part of your family. Thank you for just giving us so many good things that we don't deserve. And so, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that has not prayed that prayer, Lord, I just want to just help them, God, just to, to have the, the words to say that they, that they first uh, confess that they're a sinner, that they, they have lived in rebellion and against you, and they've disobeyed you and dishonored you, but help them to also recognize you as their Savior, as the one who sacrificed for them, and to ask for you to be their king over their lives. And we know that the Bible teaches us when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that our sins are forgiven. Oh, I'm getting so emotional. Thank you, Father, for just your great love. We don't deserve it, and we're just in awe of you and your power, your love, and your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for everyone here. Thank you especially for all of our families and our cakey God, and we know that uh, raising children is hard. We know that discipling children takes commitment. We think of Auntie Eileen and her commitment to discipling children for generations, years and years. It takes sacrifice. It's hard, but we know as parents, as grandparents, as aunties and uncles, the, the greatest thing that we get on our knees and we pray for desperately is that our children will choose salvation and that they will choose Jesus for all of their lives. So we pray, God, that you would help empower and strengthen the parents here today and the grandparents and everyone, Lord, to come alongside the cakey, God, and to disciple them and to be passionate about that, that it would be something that our church stands for, that it would be something that the church stands for so that we will be raising up new generations who call on your name, who love you, who serve you, and want to go out and make more disciples. So we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.